So 1 Samuel chapter 18, um, and we're in, we're in a, I think, a really interesting section with David's life. So sometimes when we look at, at, at these Bible characters, like a guy like David, there are things about his life that just feel a little bit too kind of like sensational. Like he's killing giants. Um, you know, he wrestles bears and lions and kills them with his bare hands. So I don't know if anybody in here has done that. Um, but so there's just things about like David's life that just feel a little bit like comic booky or like movie. And, and what we're going to see tonight is I, I think we're going to we're going to see something in David's life that we can really get close to. Like it makes him more human to us. It's something that we can really lean into because what we're going to see in David's life, what, what David really needs and what he has in this man, Jonathan, is really what all of us need. And, and that's a really great friend. So we're going to look at the scripture and we're going to see what the Bible has to, um, has to say about our friendship. And I think we really need to kind of recenter on, on what the idea is of, of real friendship because Social media, I'm not, this is not a message against social media, but social media, for all the benefits that it does have for us, I think in some ways it can kind of taint or twist what we think about when we think about friends. We think sometimes more in terms of like followers rather than what a deep friend is. Um, And what we're going to see in the life of Jonathan is, is not this kind of broad category of friend, like, oh, that's somebody who's in my class or somebody that is at the drive-thru at Starbucks or somebody that I maybe like bump into at 710. There's a, there's a deeper definition and a deeper category of friend. Um, it, it, friendship becomes this opportunity for us to speak into each other's lives. And for, for Christians, it allows us to actually speak into each other's identity. There's a, there's a quote by a pastor that I like. He says, deep friendship, and this is what we're going to see with Jonathan and David, is a calling forth of each other's chosen and a mutual affirmation of being precious in God's eyes. So it's, 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 a, it's a deep calling to who we actually are um, as chosen and precious in the sight of God. So um, let, me, let me pray and then we'll get into our text. God, thank you for a night like this where we can come together. And God, I thank you for how um, real your word is and God, how it speaks to just... Um, the everyday things of our life, and God, the things that matter the most to us, and God, the things that are deeply important to us, and um, God, friendship is is definitely one of those things. It's one of those things that you've designed, and God, you have a particular way uh, where it works for our greatest good. And so, God, I just pray tonight that as we look into David's story um, once again, God, and we see him with his friend Jonathan, God, that you would help to teach us um, of what it is to be true friends to one another. And God, uh, even deeper than that, what a true friend we have in you through Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. First Samuel chapter 18. And we'll look at verse one. Um, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul, which is a super cool just kind of description of their friendship, definition of friendship, this, this kind of binding of souls. I don't know if you've ever had a relationship like that where you, you've loved another person just as much as you love your own soul, but that's what David and Jonathan have. And look at verse two, and Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. So if you're not super familiar with what's happening here with David's life, so David was a shepherd. Um, he has this incredible victory over um, this Philistine giant named Goliath. 
read your Bible. There's great stuff in there. Um, and now Saul um, as really has an affinity towards David. He has an affinity and a jealousy. It's a pretty kind of complicated relationship. Um, but he realizes the usefulness of David. And so David in the past was kind of going back and forth between uh, taking care of the sheep and then also kind of doing some stuff for Saul, mostly playing music for Saul uh, and doing some other things. But now Saul says, no, you're going to be mine. Verse 3, then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. And so Saul um, gives David this incredible responsibility and opportunity. And as David goes out, he's victorious in, in battle. And I really do think that the friendship of Jonathan in many ways helps David be so successful in what he does because he knows that he's got this person who loves him as he loves his own soul, who's always in his corner and, got his, and has his back. We're going to see that in some of the stories that play out in the next couple chapters as well. Now, you have to realize they come from two totally different worlds. Jonathan is the king's son. He grows up in the palace, grows up with all the, the benefits of being the king's son. David is this poor shepherd boy. Uh, and he grows up as a poor shepherd boy. But, but they, they are somewhat similar. It, earlier in 1 Samuel, if you were to kind of look at the story, we see that Jonathan, is a, he's a valiant warrior, just the same way that David is. Um, Jonathan also stands up when everyone else runs away, much like David does. Um, and, and what we're going to see in their story um, is in a culture where friendship is, is desperately undervalued, we're going to see just how valuable it is for us to have friends like David had with Jonathan and Jonathan had with David. And, and friendship's not just undervalued in our culture. We, we have a very disposable culture. We have a very instant culture, right? So, you know, that, that is really what's so great about just kind of all social media or really like kind of online digital platforms is that you can make these kind of instant connections. Um, some of you, you're using certain apps where you're really hoping that that works out for you, that you make these instant connections and it's really great. Um, but true friendship, true friendship doesn't really work like that. It, it's not instantaneous um, in the depth um, and true friendships are not so easily disposed of either. And, and it's not just in culture. Sometimes that can happen in church as well too. Um, we, we, don't, we don't talk a lot about friendship because we, we think that's maybe not a category that necessarily fits in the church. There's other things that we should be talking about, but clearly the scripture addresses that. Um, a lot of times we, we'll, we'll just talk about our personal relationship with Jesus, and that gets a lot of conversation, and that gets a lot of attention, um, but we don't always talk about our personal relationships with one another. And I, I as a, as a society, as a culture, I really don't think that we've ever been in a time where people are more connected or have more of the ability to connect with another, but are more profoundly lonely than they've ever been before. And, and, and I, I think we're just in real need of, of friends, honestly. Um, in ministry, we talk a lot about community. And, and sometimes we'll, we'll talk about community like that's our friendship, but, but, but it's different. Community, and, and we offer something called redemption communities because we know that it's hard for you guys to make real connections on a Tuesday night in a room like this. So we say, hey, there's smaller groups of people that meet in different places around the valley and homes uh, and other places, and, and you can connect through one of those redemption communities. And hopefully in that community, that's a vehicle that you can use to develop these deep deep friendships. That's a deeper tier. Um, when I think about friendship, I think about 
a, a, a true friendship is when I have a constant desire to do good towards you. Like when my, my friends are, those are the people in my life that I have a constant desire to do something good towards them and they have a constant desire to do good towards me. All, when my friends are the people, those are the people that all I want for them is the best. All I want for them is, is blessing. That's what we see with David and Jonathan here. It's this unselfish love. And in that unselfish love, the, the, the risk of relationship, the risk of friendship melts away. And in the place of all that guardedness that we have with one another, that all the image management that we have in relationships, all the, the risk management we have in relationships where I, I, I want to be vulnerable with you, but I don't want to be totally vulnerable. I want you to know me, but I don't want you to really know all about me. There's kind of like this gradual unveiling that we have with people. But in true friendship, all of that goes away. All all of that trying to kind of manage my image in front of you, all of that goes away. And the only question that gets left when you've got true friendship, like David and Jonathan have, is what will do the most good for you? How do I live my life towards you in such a way that does the most good for you? That's the only question that I'm wrestling with. I'm not wrestling with how's this going to work out for me? How am I going to be perceived uh, by you or by others because I'm with you? What can I get out of this? The only question in a true friendship is how can I do the most good towards you? And, and for, you, for, for, for you to thrive, how can I, how can I carry you? How, how can I lay down my life for you? Um, a true friendship is a love that, that, that doesn't have constraints or contingencies or a backup plan. It's not a, I'll scratch your back so you scratch mine. Uh, but it's, I'll do good towards you always in whatever way uh, that it requires from me. And the truth is that if you really can't love well, and, and you really can't love well if you're always thinking, how does this benefit me? How does this relationship do something for me? How do I get something from you? It's really difficult. In fact, I don't think you can truly love someone if that's your mentality. If you're always thinking, how do I get something from this person? How, how do I benefit from this? Or, or how does this make me look good in front of other people? My relationship with you. How do I leverage that for my own fame? And if that's the way that you approach relationships, it's impossible to have a true friendship. We, we have in our society, I think, a lot of categories of friends. Um, but we have very few people like this who live like this towards us or us towards them. And, and if we had just one friend like this, if you, if, if you could say tonight, like, I actually have somebody in my life like that, and I'm like that in somebody's life. You're a truly rich person if you, if you have that. I'm gonna, I want to give you five, real quick, five really practical kind of principles for friendship, and we're, and we're going to see how these things work out in the scriptures and how they work out in David, um, um, David and Jonathan's relationship. So if you're, if you're one of these people who are like, yeah, I'm like, I really need to develop friendships, or I really need to have um, friends, don't raise your hand because it is a little bit sad. But I want to give you five super practical principles from the scripture that will help you in true friendships. The first is that you'd practice the mailbox principle. Practice the mailbox principle. So I love um, getting mail. 
uh, I really don't care what it is. It, it can be a bill. It can be a, a magazine that's addressed to somebody else. I really don't care. I just, I love going to the mailbox to get um, the, the mail. Um, and I remember uh, when, when I was a kid that my, my mom had told me, she said, look, if you want to get mail or if you want to get letters, the best thing to do is for you to write letters. And a lot of us, we're, we're kind of, we're lonely, um, but we're just kind of waiting for someone to magically just like discover us. Like we don't really do anything to go towards people. We just kind of hope like, okay, I'll just show up at maybe a place like this or maybe a church on a Sunday or maybe some other place. And you just like, if I just sit in the corner and like just put out the vibe that I want somebody to come meet me and be friends with me, I'll just wait for that to happen. Um, uh, there's a lot of times where I'll get like either maybe an email or somebody might post on Facebook or something like that. Like, man, I went to 710 and nobody was really friendly. And I was like, well, okay, I, I saw you there and you kind of sat in the corner like a cactus. And so I heard there's not too much that I can do to help you. Um, the, write this verse down, Proverbs 18.24. Um, this, is a, this is just, again, very practical wisdom uh, from the scriptures. The, the verse says this, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, or he who wants friends must first show himself friendly. It takes a little bit of branching out, and sometimes you have to reach out, but um, what simply the Bible's saying, like, you can't just kind of sit around and wait for somebody to discover you if you want friends. So the first kind of practical principle there is to practice the mailbox principle. Uh, the second point, the second kind of practical point on, on, on friendship is uh, you better recognize. So you better recognize. There's a moment where Jonathan recognizes something in David that he's drawn to. And both of these men, as you kind of look and discover them, they both kind of have these warrior spirits and they, and they both have these really like incredible faith victories where they, they risk their lives literally just expectant that God's gonna provide uh, a victory. But there's something, there's something deeper that they recognize in one, in one another. And this is not something that we... This is not something that we do in, in our culture, and in, this is not something that the society kind of encourages us to do. We don't recognize people. We, we often just take people for granted because we're just kind of moving through life. We have our own agenda. We've got our own plan. We've got our own places to be. We've got our own things to do, and we really don't have time to stop and recognize another person um, or and appreciate or recognize people um, until we lose them or we're on the, the verge of losing them. I, I just flew in this morning um, from Detroit. My grandmother was 99, passed away uh, last week. And so I had a chance to go to her funeral. And uh, I was really, really struck with this because you just and, and we know this, we know this cognitively, but we don't always know this uh, like functionally, that we really do need to stop and appreciate people and recognize people. And oftentimes we really don't recognize them. We don't kind of all stand in a circle and say good things about them uh, until after they're, and after they're gone. And I was really struck with it. Like, I really don't want to have the time where I recognize people that I, that I love and care for my friends until it's a time like this to where I no longer have the ability to recognize them face to 
face-to-face. Um, and it, it could be that you already have a Jonathan in your life, that, that this type of relationship where, yeah, I'd love somebody that I love as my own soul. And it could be that you already have that person in your life, but you're not aware of them because you don't see them for what they add to your life, or, or better yet, how you might possibly add to their life. And so you just kind of work around this person and take them for, for granted. Um, C.S. Lewis, who's an author, he has this thing where he's talking, he's describing friendship, and he says it's this moment where you do recognize the other person, and it's as if you both arrive at the same place, and you're like, oh, you too. He, he has this moment where he said we both kind of recognize in each other these things that we share and the shared life that we have. We, we, we live our lives interacting with so many people but yet hardly recognizing them. And what happens with David and Jonathan is that they, they recognize their soul. They recognize what's most true about them. The, the greatest thing that any person can do for another person is to convert, confirm the deepest thing in them. To, to take them, to take the time to see what's most fully that person and confirm it by recognizing it and encouraging it. To really see and recognize people. In Luke chapter 7, there's the story. Jesus is invited um, over to this religious leader's home, and, he, and he's having this meal there. Uh, and then there's this woman who comes in, and, and she's, uh, the, she's, a, um, she's a sinful woman, this, this scripture. In fact, Luke chapter 7, if you want to just turn over there. We can look at the story super quick. Luke chapter 7 and then verse 36. So again, Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house, asked him to eat with him. He went into the Pharisee's house, took his place at the table, and behold, a woman of the city, that's how the scripture defines her, who was a sinner. When she learned that he was reclining at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought a a flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head, which is uh, just culturally, you just completely undignified. You just would not do that. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and head and kiss the feet and anointed them with with the ointment. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, so in other words, if he really were like who he says he is, um, he would have known what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering him, Simon, I can read minds. No, he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, okay, say it, teacher. And he, and he tells the story. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love me more? And Simon answered, well, the one I suppose for whom he's canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. And then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Simon, do you, do you, do you see her? You, you, you probably have an awareness that she's around, but do you really, do you really recognize her? Do you, do you really see her? He says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, the woman, your sins are forgiven. 
And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I've always really loved that line that he says to Simon. He says, do you see her? Because he knows, it's a rhetorical question, because he knows that Simon didn't really see her. He saw her for her reputation, but he didn't see, he didn't recognize her for who she really was. And Jesus in that moment is, is able to see her for who she really is. He, he sees the image of God in her. He sees the belovedness in her. Um, and and, and, and it's, it's, it's a deeper seeing than just simply an, an awareness of. To recognize in someone, you are loved and prized by majesty. One of the things that I love in 710, I get to see this a lot, um, are like women who get engaged who are a part of 710. So they come to this community, maybe they start dating somebody, and then uh, eventually the guy clues in and they get engaged. And what I always love is like the next 710 after they've been engaged. So that it, it's already like out, people kind of know, but then they show up and then like all the girls kind of gather around, everybody's looking at the ring and, you know, you know they're like, they're happy, but they're also like super secretly jealous um, and kind of angry, probably want to fight them, but you know, still smiling at him. But, but, but I love kind of like that circle of like kind of women who are around somebody who's been engaged and like they're holding out the hand. Like you recognize in that person, in that, in that woman, in that, that lady, like you're loved. It's evident. It's evident you're loved. I recognize that. I see it. I see the engagement ring. Um, I know about the relationship. And now I'm celebrating how you are beloved by someone else. And that's what we are to do. You better recognize, if you want a true friend, recognize their belovedness. Recognize you're chosen, that, that you're spoken for. You're spoken for and you're spoken over words of love, true, true love. So first, um, first, practice the mailbox principle. Second, you better recognize. And then third, you need to turn off the security system. So you, you have to make yourself vulnerable. And, 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 and this is honestly what makes, I think, true friendship pr- kind of difficult is because you can't have this kind of friendship that Jonathan and David have um, and keep your defenses up. Now, I got to kind of help you with this or caveat of this a little bit because I'm not just saying like throw discernment or wisdom out the window because not every single person has the right or the ability to handle your vulnerability. So you do have to be wise with this. But if you want this type of friendship, um, having those kind of walls up is not, is not something that allows that to, to flourish uh, or to happen. If you go back to First Samuel and then in chapter 20, First Samuel chapter 20, um, we're, we're going to dig into this scene a little bit more later as, as we go on. But in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, um, Saul is really just out to get David. I mean, he's like after him. He, try, he wants to kill David. He's insanely jealous over who David is and the victories that he has and the favor that he has with God and the favor that he has with people. And Jonathan, because he loves David, wants to protect David. And so there's this whole scene that kind of plays out where that's happening. But it's really, it's really come to a head that like, okay, Saul is not going to stop until he kills you, David. He's just, he's going to be relentless in his pursuit of you. And Jonathan and David are both faced with this realization. And they have this, they have this really kind of cool moment in, in 1 Samuel 20, chapter 20, and chapter 41. 
As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. And then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we've sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So they just, they, they know. They're these warrior men, but they both know the reality of what is happening. And there's this just security that they have with one another. There's this vulnerability that they have with one another. They're kind of their, their own kind of personal defense. These walls that we put up with people, they, they come down and it, they illustrate in that moment the kind of emotional vulnerability that's required to make real friendship work. It, it, it doesn't mean that you have to cry when you're with your friend all the time to make it authentic, but you need to allow your real self to be seen. And that's one of the hallmarks of David and Jonathan's relationship is they allowed their real self to be seen with one another. A, a, a major part of having a real friendship is that you put yourself in a position where you can be hurt. That's really difficult. And, and it, now this does not mean that you go out and find the most reckless person that you can, but it does mean that you allow for trust to grow and for trust to grow, you have to give it space and that space is called vulnerability. And, and Sometimes we'd rather just have like a bunch of superficial relationships rather than having one deep vulnerable relationship or friendship because there is something that's kind of terrifying about putting yourself in that position since so few people are really allowed to have access to our hearts like that. And if if I don't love a person enough to where they might eventually or could possibly hurt me, then I don't really get to love them either. And when you really love somebody, of, of course they can hurt you. Of course they can hurt you. That was one of the things um, that my wife and I just learned kind of early on in our marriage is that like, how in the world like, could this person that I love so much more than any person I've ever loved like, wound me in, in such a way and vice versa? Like, how, how does that happen? And, and, and really, like, that, for these types of friendships, and these types of relationships to develop, you need that vulnerability. You need that space where yeah, this could, this could end up wounding me, but if I'm going to really love you, if I'm going to really trust you, I need to allow you in. I need, you need to have access to my heart and really see who I am. And you really don't get the joy of friendship without that risk. And, and there is a wall that we put up to keep from getting hurt, but a lot of times that wall keeps us from literally loving people as, as well too. Again, you're not out there kind of like looking to be hurt. Um, don't, don't be that person, um, but you need to put the security system down. Uh, fourth, almost done here, um, the fourth principle in friendship is that it takes one to know one. It takes one to know one. Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, um, 9 and 10 says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. What that verse is talking about is sharing in your, in your brokenness. Now, brokenness can be a basis for, um, for good friendship. Now, this does not mean uniting over common failure or uniting over a common enemy because th- that's not the same thing. So you having a friendship based on like, my boss sucks, your boss sucks, let's be friends. That's not what this is talking about, right? Or, or I hate church, you hate church, let's go like not be at church together. It's not, it's not that. It's not uniting over um, what you think sucks. And it's not in sharing sin together either. Like, so, oh, this is your particular struggle. This is my particular struggle. Let's get together and kind of like wallow in our disobedience. That's not a healthy friendship at all. That's not what this is talking about. 
was talking about is sharing your brokenness. It means that you allow another person to see the things that stir your soul. Much deeper than just the things that annoy you or much deeper just than the, than the pet sins that you're constantly dealing with. Um, what, what, what's good about this is that oftentimes when you, you recognize the brokenness in a friend, it, it causes you to recognize your own brokenness. It'll, seeing the brokenness in someone else kind of allows you a window to see the brokenness in, in yourself. And if, if you have a good friend where you can confess sin and be broken over that sin, the, the greatest thing that can happen is where you become more aware of your sin and you're more broken over it. So one of the, the greatest things that I have in my life are, are, are deep and solid friendships where we can truly confess sin with one another, um, which one allows, allows me to, to know my friends in a deeper way, allows them to know me in a deeper way, um, but, but, but also allows for this shared understanding, like, oh, man, we're in this together. I, I, that I'm not the only one. That's a really great feeling when you're when you're thinking about your brokenness, isn't it? I'm not the only. I'm not the only one. And when you allow your brokenness to be on display for another person, it helps you understand your own brokenness and breathe and really celebrate the grace of God in your in your life. And then, lastly, the last principle uh, for friendship is that it's it's not the lottery. If you want a good friendship, it's not the lottery. So why is the lottery so popular? Because you can take a small investment and get a huge return. Friendship, true friendship, is not the lottery. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. A brother is born for adversity. A brother is born for when it gets tough. And a true friend loves at all times. Not just when it's like really easy to love you, but a true friend loves you actually when it's very difficult to love you. What the Proverbs is talking about there is just... Bless or do good towards another. See, bless, I, that was preemptive, it was prophetic. I knew that before it was even gonna happen. Um, bless another without reservation. I mean, I'm just gonna like do good towards you. I'm just gonna bless you without any kind of contingency, without any thought that, well, eventually they're gonna bless me back. I'm just gonna bless you. I'm just gonna do good towards you, not expecting that you're gonna do good in return. Because a lot of our friendships, they end up being kind of based on need. And you've all had people in your life like that. Maybe you have been like that to somebody. That you were friends with someone because you really needed them for a particular reason at that moment. And again, like we have these kind of disposable relationships. Like I really needed them. I don't need them now, so I don't have them in my life. But if you want to be a true friend, you can't just make a small investment and hope for a huge payoff of friendship, hope for the huge return of friendship. But you need to be the kind of person in someone's life that you're always going to bless someone. You're not waiting for them to do something nice for you. You're not even waiting for them to initiate kindness so that you can reciprocate it. You want to be a source of encouragement to someone. You, you want to be somebody's biggest cheerleader. Uh, and, and again, it's not based on them encouraging you back. I'm not, I'm not saying that you need to be like a you know, like a creep following somebody around, but you, but, but you need to have a friendship that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you with no strings attached. And I'm not going to keep like a balance sheet. I'm not going to be like, hey, remember when I did something like really good for you last week? Well, you still haven't paid me back for that. I'm not going to have a relationship like that. I'm not going to be that kind of friend. I'm just going to do good to you because I just want you to know that you're loved. I want, I want to speak into your identity of someone who's in Christ. I want to affirm and remind someone how much God loves them, how much they are, are an amazing gift to me as my friend, 
how, how, how much I see the goodness of God in them. I want to make a decision to be a person who's going to be intentional about blessing another person. And God uses that in a really powerful way. God uses that in David's life. Every real friendship is grounded not just in the love of two people, but also in the love of God. That's a hallmark of David and Jonathan's relationship with one another. Yes, they, they, they love each other like, their soul, like they love their own soul, but, but they also know their belovedness under, under God. And, and, and that's what makes it so rich, is that God is present in the, in the midst of it. They, they actually experience the power of the love of God in that relationship in real flesh and blood. So don't take the friends that God has given you for granted. We're, we're, we're really short-sighted because of our own need for affirmation that we forget the opportunity that we have to be that gift to someone else. And it puts us in the posture not only to bless someone else, but also to experience the love of God in a very powerful way. And so one of the questions that you need to ask yourself as you consider your own friendships and what kind of friend that you are, is that are you wasting the friendships and the relationships that God has given you? Are you making the most of those friendships and of those relationships? Are they rooted in and based in something much deeper than just what well, we kind of hang out or maybe we have like kind of shared things that we like or we're really into the bachelor or at or whatever. Like that's the thing that we kind of are, are tied together by. But are you wasting the relationships that you have? Are you wasting the friendships that you have? Do you, do you, do you really encourage the love of God and the love for God in them? Is there, is there an intentionality to your friendship? Is there a mission that's associated with your friendship? Like, no, we're in this together and we're doing something together and we're doing something that matters together. We're not wasting our life together. We're actually doing something that will outlast our lives and we're doing it together. Now, here's the best part of all this and with this we're done. True friendship, like the friendship that David and Jonathan have, it allows us to see and experience and know Jesus in a way that we otherwise would, would not. We've been talking as we've been looking at David how it always pushes us forward to a true and better David who's Jesus. And we see that Jesus initiated love towards us and moves us to respond in love to him. We know that Christ sees something in us that we never see without him illuminating or making it known to us in our lives, calling us out of the darkness, calling us to the life and better future that he has for us. That's what a good friend does. A good friend recognizes or sees something in you, sees the belovedness of God in you and calls that out and makes that aware to you. We see that Jesus himself, he makes himself vulnerable in the most ultimate way. He humbles himself to the cross. After he lives this perfect life um, on our behalf, he suffers the humiliation again for our behalf. And finally, we love him because of the way that he has loved us. He sacrificed the most extravagant and ultimate way before we ever sang a worship song to him, before we ever prayed to him, before we ever celebrated him, before we ever loved him. He's not only the standard or the example of friendship, Jesus is the embodiment of friendship in the deepest sense. He's a, he is a friend to sinners. We see that at the, at the, in that moment in Luke, in Luke 7 at Simon's house. He takes whatever illustration or experience of friendship that we've ever had and he makes it exponentially better. And this is why he gives us friends and this is why he calls us to this type of friendship so that we could see what's a, once again what an incredible friend that he is to us. I, I have a kind of an assignment for you this week. And um, it's, it's very simple, um, but I want you to do good towards someone else. And I, and I wrote down um, hashtag good for you, which is lame. But if you want to use it, you can. I don't know what, how or why you would use it, but you could. Hashtag good for you. Meaning, <laughs> I got to explain how lame it is. Meaning, I'm 
like I'm doing good just for you. It's not good for me. I'm just doing good for you. Marketing major. So, <laughs> um, all right. So I want to give you this, this assignment. So this, this week, I want you to do good towards someone who's a stranger, right? So somebody that you don't know, and that can be any kind of moment of generosity that you see fit. Um, it, maybe you just open the door for somebody on the way into like class or work or whatever. You, if, if that's good enough for you, then good for you. Um, oh, good for you. Hashtag good for you. I just did it. There you go. Um, so do good towards a stranger. Um, do good towards a friend. And then the last one is um, do good towards a difficult person in your life. So I don't have to tell you who that is because I think the Spirit of God just gave you that person's face. You, like, you see them as clear as day. Um, I'm going to do something nice for you, Freddie. Um, <clears throat> so good, good, good for you. Do good, towards, do good towards a stranger. Do good towards a friend. And then do good towards a difficult person. Um, Freddie's actually all three of those people in my life. So that's, that just works out good. Um, all right, let me pray. God, we love you. And God, I, again, I just thank you for how in, in the scripture, God, you, um, you speak to these very real things. And God, these very important and necessary things, God, they're things that you desire for us. God, they're things that you've designed for us. And God, this whole idea of friendship, just this, the, the friendship that that David and Jonathan have, and God, as we we see them going forward, we 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 God, we just see how you are central um, to that friendship and to that relationship. And God, ultimately, it paints for us this beautiful picture of the friend that we have in you because of your Son Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.